That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Week 13, film study with Ken McCusick. We're going to talk about the Ravens' victory, 44-20. This is the time we talk about the offense, and the offense actually put up some points this week. So, Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm, do, I'm doing okay. I'm a uh, uh, long, long day of work, but uh, it, it continues. And you know what? The Ravens are in a good shape and, and still have a hold of this, uh, this playoff run for themselves. So, it's yeah, a really good place. We've got a good, good article on the wild card out there on the website if you want to take a look. But it kind of examines what happens with a 9-7 and seven tie versus the, all the teams. And... There's really only one team that the Ravens have to be concerned about, and this week's game impacts that pretty significantly. So the the Kansas City Chiefs are the biggest chance to beat the Ravens in a head-to-head tiebreaker. Not because of head-to-head, but because of common opponents. If the Ravens don't win that, which they can win by one of three games going their way, then the Chiefs will beat the Ravens on strength of victory. So uh, that's the biggest risk. The Jets can also tie the Ravens and beat them in a, in a conference tiebreaker. But other than that, 
take a look at the website. A lot more detail that could be better served by the people who would like to go down line by line through an article than, than people right. who are listening to a podcast in their car. No, and and the, and the lines change every every game. Uh, every time there's a the football game, these lines are changing. So uh, we'll talk about it in more. We'll, we got to mention it every week. Because it, more and more, the Ravens' chances increase as things as, if they keep playing this way. I mean, they've won three in a row. Hopefully, they can make it four. Yeah, uh, a win over the Steelers would be big for their playoff hopes. And and this week, this Steelers week is a uh, is a really poignant one in this rivalry with the incredibly ugly game from Monday night against the Bengals. Just a, a nasty. It's not even football anymore when they want to play like that. No, and uh, no, it's not. And. I obviously made the joke on the last one that it, it's a Steelers-Bengals game, so I'm going to root for injuries. Clearly, no one roots for injuries, and the the way that the uh, refs just let that game get out of control, I, I think there was more than one point where I thought they were going to toss someone, and instead they just said, it's his first personal injury or whatever. Um, and then... I was, and then I think I was more surprised when I saw the suspensions come out, and it's just one games for everyone. Whether you're Gronk and and or these guys on Monday night, everyone just got one game. Well, that, that's right, and and every the one that I think anybody could has different opinions on this. If you talk to Steelers fans and it being in the moment and whatnot, they think that Juju's hit was less severe than Gronk's because Gronk's was after the play and was a truly nasty. Hit Juju. There was a taunting component to it after the play. That it's like, yeah, I injured you, and I'm going to stand over you for, right. for a few seconds. Both are bad. Uh, you know, probably they both deserved a, a, a suspension of some sort, a short one, probably given the way the league seems to be run. Uh, you know, one to two games would have been reasonable in either case, and I think they they both are uh, are there. See, so, yeah, yeah, and and I tend to lean towards the Steeler fans where I I see the same thing that. That uh, that the Gronk hit had no purpose at all. Where the 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 Juju hit, he's making a football play. He's trying to get the stop. Things happen, and the taunting is then when he went over the line. In my eyes, mm-hmm. I, I agree. His his because his during the course of play activity was less bad than Gronk because Gronk did it after the play. Right. But his but his his taunting is what kind of made it worse. Right. I, I, you know. I just. This week, we've heard some things. So Harbaugh started out today's practice with a prayer for Shazier, and, and, and that was a very good thing to hear. I've seen a lot of very positive traffic today on Twitter, back and forth, about how each team really respects the other right. in the rivalry. And that's the big difference between the Ravens and Steelers versus the Bengals and Steelers, which is just a, you know. Yeah, it's much more of a fun rivalry than a, a hatred. It's a, we, we, we like the Steeler matchups. Not because we hate Pittsburgh. We like the Steeler matchups because we split every year. We see each other in the playoffs all the time. The it's teams are competitive. It's always a yeah. tight game. Those are fun games. Those are what you want out of football. And, yeah, you want your team to win, but that's what you like out of a rivalry. Right. That's and, right. And, yeah, and I'll make it very clear. I do not root for injuries. It's a, uh, it's a joke, and I've, it's a joke of I don't want to root for the Steelers. I don't want to root for the Bengals. So um, I mentioned injuries, and but I don't really root for injuries. It's just unfortunate how things timed with Monday night. Well, uh, yeah, I understood, Josh, and it's it's uh, it's just one of those things that happens. But it's good that good that you're making that clear to our listeners. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't root for injuries. Um, just root for my team to win. 
but let's move on to the Ravens. Because, yeah, that Steeler game, that affects the Ravens. But the Ravens upcoming this week, they have a chance to, to deal with that and really uh, take charge of, uh, on their own. So let's look at what the Ravens did right with, this def- with the offense side to really uh, score points and do something we haven't seen from this offense all year against the Lions. No, yeah, we haven't. We certainly haven't seen it much. Uh, and the offensive line had its, what I would say is its second best game of the year. The performance at Oakland was just a slight notch above, and and frankly, it was the best game I'd ever scored. Okay. Uh, but but in in this game, uh, you know, they did some wonderful things in pass blocking that are that are really special. So the Lions, first of all, they know they don't have the greatest pass rush. They had Ansa, who was playing a little bit dinged up and and probably was not at his best. And they did a lot of scheming for pressures. Now, you've heard some of these numbers when I've been talking about them from Pease's standpoint and how often he does this thing. So how often does Pease rush 6-plus? Well, it had been 11 times before the last game. It's not, It was nine times that the Lions rushed six or more in this game alone and 36 dropbacks. So it gives you an idea of what they were trying to do in terms of really get pressure with numbers. They rushed five men, which a lot of people consider a blitz, another 12 times. That's 21 out of 36. They quote-unquote blitzed by by the definition a lot of people use. They had eight pass rushes that I would term as deceptive by my definition. Uh, Those all involved a two-man blitz where they sent two on the same play, which is one, one blitzer does not quite get you deceptive, but two blitzers does individually. And the Lions, in 36 dropbacks, had 25 individual blitzes. Now, that's players rushing from inside the slot receiver and at least 1.5 yards behind the line of scrimmage. So 25 times they brought an individual blitz like that. Now, in the context of all of that, and obviously the, the, the Lions are coming from everywhere trying to get to Flacco, right. the Ravens still gave Flacco ATS 20 times in 36 dropbacks. That's 56%, an above-average total. They generated no sacks. You know, 25 individual blitzes, no sacks. It's a complete failure. Yeah. And three, and three quarterback hits in the game. That That's good. And um, I guess that then allowed Joe to at least – fine guys because they were more successful in the passing game yeah they did they had so normally with that amount of ATS I would look at it and say that um, each ATS opportunity is worth a certain number of yards based on Joe's uh, past and each not ATS opportunity is worth something and when I do that simple math I get to 229 net yards would have been my expectation on those 36 dropbacks given that mix of ample time and space and not ample time and space. He actually threw for 269. But when you think about it, granting ample time and space in this environment is worth more because more rushers are committed and the secondary than the second and third levels are more open in terms of the ability to, to separate, the ability to get yards after the catch, etc. So uh, I, while I look at Flacco's number and say his best numbers of the season and he did outperform his opportunity set, I give the bulk of the credit to the offensive line in this one. They just played fantastic. All right, and so you mentioned that this is your second highest scoring game of the season. Um, we've had some low scoring games as well. What do we? What do we? What have we learned from this offense? Are they clicking? Are they getting hot at the right time? Healthy at the right time? Or is this more of just it's the Lions? 
You know, it's really hard to say exactly what it is individually. Obviously, they figured they solved the Lions' blitz, and that was very key in this game, so that's why I'm giving most of the credit to the offensive line. When they solved it, the Lions had a, a really oh-crap situation on their hands of having a very limited coverage set in the second and third levels. And the times Flacco has struggled most, the times that I remember, are versus Cincinnati, for example, when they would or Denver, when they would just have a four-man rush all the time against them. And when that four-man rush is successful and they have seven in the secondary, it's very effective always at keeping Flacco under wraps. And, uh, and that... that you know, it wasn't possible this game right. because they, they didn't have seven in the secondary all the time. Right. Now, one of the biggest plays for Flacco was when there was a point in the game where the Lions defenders looked completely confused. <laughs> yes, to say the least. So, okay, let me set the scene here because the Ravens were leading 20-13 to 13 early in the fourth quarter. So it's 14-14 left in the fourth. I'll give you the time reference here because I really want you to go look at this one if you can on Game Pass or on your DVR, either one. But it's a crucial third and seven play. And you remember the, the Lions had just scored a couple touchdowns. It was twenty to nothing at the half. And they made it twenty to thirteen with a couple of touchdown drives. And it's looking like the, the, the Lions were making another comeback. And the Ravens really needed at least a field goal, but they really needed a touchdown on the drive. So third and seven came up, and all of a sudden the Lions have nine men on the field. Now, isn't this the same am I thinking about the same play or am I at a different point where the the Lions almost got on the play before almost got a uh, fumble, but it wasn't a fumble, and there was some confusion of the Lions trying to figure out whether or not they're going to challenge. Yeah, that's that's this right. Is, that's the same play, right? And the the Ravens just did a hurry up. Yeah, the Ravens Ravens got it were prepared and got it done. The check the, the Lions did not throw a red challenge flag, and they didn't call timeout. Right. Nine men on the field. No one was calling timeout that I could tell on the field. Right. A lot of the guys on the field looked like they were looking to the sideline trying to figure out what the timeout. Mm-hmm. Or not the timeout, but if we're going to challenge it. Right. Right. So anyway, uh, on the play, as you, as you see it develop from the top, two men covered Watson. Nobody covered uh, Chris Moore. And Chris Moore all of a sudden is wide open in the middle of the field. And at the game, I didn't pick up on the nine men. But uh, but I'm saying, how the heck did he get that open? Right. There was nobody within eight, nine yards of him. He catches the ball, big run after the catch to, to load up a 23-yard play there before they could get him down, and the Ravens scored two plays later. So uh, that was probably the biggest single play of the game in terms of how it impacted things. And there is legitimate talk that, that uh, uh, Caldwell and perhaps others will lose their job over it. It's probably the defensive coordinator uh, who should lose his job, although the head coach with uh, with his overall coordination failing on this is 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 pretty bad, failing to get a timeout in particular. All right. Um, and, yeah, and that was a huge play. And Chris Moore is becoming more and more of a guy that fans are wanting to see more in because it seems like he's a guy who can catch the ball, and he seems to be making some big plays the little bit of opportunities he gets. Right. He's, he's, he's had a, little, a few problems catching the ball this year. He had one of the an interception go right through his hands in one of the games. I forget, Perriman also had one that game. I was going to say, doesn't every, narrow it down. every wide receiver's <laughs> had trouble with that. Yeah, that, that doesn't really narrow it down. But, but anyway, uh, uh, Moore, Moore did have a good game this game. Had a couple of nice sideline outs as well as that uh, play over the middle, which I like. So, uh, yes, by all means, he's going to get some opportunities the rest of the way as far as the Ravens go this year. This is a team, by the way, in 2008. The Ravens went to, to Pittsburgh for the AFC Championship game. And 
you know, in, in the National Football League now, you're, whoever your third wide receiver is, is pretty damn important because he gets a lot of snaps. In fact, your fourth wide receiver is pretty important because they get a lot of snaps. The Ravens went into the AFC Championship game in 2008 with Marcus Smith as their third receiver. Now, what made Marcus Smith special in that role as a third receiver? He had zero zero career catches okay that before or after now, that wasn't his rookie year or anything but before or after he never he never had any catches good special teams player for the ravens but in that game he still made a contribution flacco threw a ball to him in the end zone he drew a pass interference call the ravens scored immediately thereafter to come within 16 14 and uh, and marcus smith made the biggest not catch of of any of the the uh, the players in Ravens history who've had very few total catches. Right. So you're saying there's still a chance for Bearman. Uh, there, yeah, that could be his could be his comeback opportunity. Right. All right. You mentioned this is the, your highest scoring uh, one of your highest scoring games. So let's get to the line and um, you give the grades. Let's see if did they get straight A's. We'll find out. And pretty, pretty close. All right. Let's start with uh, Ronnie Stanley. Okay, so Ronnie Stanley, really getting hot at the right time right now. He's had two consecutive top-shelf games, and he's hobbling, but uh, he's gotten an A in both of them. Uh, this game, he had a, a pressure and a half, and that, were all, that was all his negative events. He missed three blocks in addition, but uh, it just looked very good. Uh, he was aware in terms of uh, changing. He was able to change out of stunts, which is something an injured player often is not able to do, is, is make a stunt handoff well, not give ground oftentimes before a stunt in order, so, it's, so, so he can't do it properly. But Stanley did a good job with all of that. And uh, he's getting hot at the same time he did last year when he had those eight straight games at the end after the Pittsburgh game that were just terrific and uh, really gave the Ravens a chance to get in the playoffs and, and gave us all the hope we have about, uh, about Stanley this year. But uh, great game for Stanley and, and coming at right at the right time. All right. Uh, that's good. You can, you're concerned to me about that hobble, though. Uh, hopefully that doesn't get any worse. How about James Hurst? Okay, so James Hurst is having a fine year. And, and now some interesting questions really have to come up about him. So let's talk about his performance in this game, and then we'll get back to that. So the last eight games that he's played at guard, now remember he was sent to detention. Detention is the wrong word. He was sent to emergency service at left tackle for the Green Bay game, but otherwise in his games at guard, his last eight, he's gotten B, A, C+, plus, A, C+, plus, B, B, A. And during that time at guard, he's had 43 of 51 polls. He made 9 of 10 in this game. And he had, uh, let's see, what do you have in terms of, of negative things? He had one penetration allowed on a run play in this game. That was his only negative event here. He did have three missed blocks. But another fine game for Hurst, and, and .90 per play, unadjusted, with adjustment, it's an A. Um, and he has uh, really elevated his own status. So next year is going to be a question of which team wants Hurst to start for them at left guard. It might be the Ravens. They may say, and I think that there's, there's one particular path I can see pretty clearly, that Lewis is the guy at right tackle, that they want to keep Hurst at left guard. Okay. And it would increase the chances if for some reason they were not able to re-sign Jensen at center. Because I think the Ravens are going to have to find a way to economize somewhere. And Hurst will have a not insignificant contract. I mean, he could easily now, based on what I've seen and his history, I don't think he has any any um, tackle uh, swingman value. But I think you could, you could say 
four years, sixteen million. You know, I, so I'm not the best at always. Right, so that's the, he, he's going to be making more than if they just put Lewis, left Lewis in that position. Yeah, and that's the that's the key point is that Hurst really projects to be a better player in 2018 than Alex Lewis. Alex Lewis will be coming back from an injury. It will be his third year, but you know, I just I can't project that he's going to be where Hurst is as a player. But you do get a cheaper player for two years if you stick with Lewis, and you also get a, the possibility of solving your issue at tackle of having not a reserve tackle if you put mm-hmm. Lewis at right tackle. Okay. All right. Um, you mentioned Jensen. Jensen seemed to be back to the Jensen that we've fallen in love with the past few, after a, a down few weeks. Yeah. I, I, it's not like he's been terrible or anything. He just hasn't been quite as good as he was uh, at times earlier in the season. But uh, he, he had one difficult reach block that he missed. Now, reach block is when you when you... Uh, you, you have to take a step to make a block. And it happened in Q4, and he, he got in the way of Skira's pull on that play. Now, obviously, that was not a well-scored play for Jensen, but what it really demonstrated to me is how little we've seen that happen this year. So when you see a player like Jensen you know, make a fail on a difficult block is the way I'd put it, it, you realize how few times that the, the Ravens' pulling game has been messed up because Jensen has given ground or not been able to make the play he's supposed to. And he's usually the pivot point on all pulls. You, you usually cross Jensen in order to pull. There are exceptions. Sometimes a, a tackle goes outside a tight end on a pull, but most often you pass the center on a pull. So uh, he, he played well. Uh, it gave him half a penetration, half a pressure, and he also gets an A after adjustment. A very good game from Jensen. Uh, Any um, I mean, any concern with, with his health? Or? Well, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about his elbow. He's wearing a, a, uh, but he brace, had a brace now. right? Yeah. So, so, uh, it's not a good thing when your entire line is in braces and you don't always know exactly what it's for. Um, in Jensen's case, he, he had some very apparent pain in his elbow at the very end of the previous game. So I'm glad he was able to play. I'm Zach glad he was certainly glad he was able to play very well. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm naturally concerned about what this means going forward. All right, um, you mentioned that Skura had his best game of the year. So he's a guy who we've really been looking to grow. So explain to me what was so good about Sunday. Sure. Well, he's he's been very consistent the entire year in terms of making his blocks and not missing blocks, and he did have. Uh, a half a penetration he allowed in this game, which was, uh, which is too bad. I didn't give him the whole thing, but he made a block to assist the player to his right, which would have been Howard. And then there was a, a, a blitzer who came on a run blitz, actually, and he didn't get that picked up. So I gave him half that penetration. I, I gave the other half to Jensen being on the other side, who was also assisting. So um, he could have gotten more of that. I know PFF didn't score him well on that play. I didn't either, but, uh, but anyway, it was what it was. He had a third of a quarterback hit in the game, and uh, and he had another block where he didn't look that great, but the pressure had already developed behind him, and and uh, and I, I actually gave him a block on that one because I thought he held it for long enough. That's a lot more detail than I would normally give you, but but anyway, Skurrit did score pretty well. Didn't have didn't have any uh, solo negative events, which is one of the keys you look for. Um, he he only got one point on his three pulls because he had a negative one on the on the. Uh, on the um, uh, pull that didn't work out with uh, Jensen obstructing him. 
But anyway, in total, A and a uh, fine game. And, and again, I really like the consistency, and I think there's some undervaluation of the consistency of Skura from what I've seen from other services, that they're, they're not necessarily putting a value on the, uh, the block he provides every time where he doesn't necessarily push a guy where they would give a, give a positive score for. Sometimes he may even give a little ground, but it's ground that doesn't matter that much. But the, the key thing is he's getting in front of the guy opposite him. Okay. Um, so you gave everyone A's so far, but Austin Howard is your only guy without an A on the line? Yeah, didn't get an A. I, I thought he actually played quite well, but uh, but he did have a significant holding penalty. I sorry, an illegal block penalty in the back. So he uh, uh, he only had one pressure allowed in the game. So that's terrific. But uh, there was an eleven yard pass to Williams, and that came when it come uh, midway through quarterback quarter two, and he had a block in the back on Whitehead, number fifty nine, the linebacker, and it was right as Williams was passing him. So it was not the kind of thing you could say, why do you, why do you hold it was away from the play, or why did he block that way it was away from the play, it was a complete waste. It actually kind of probably helped the runner, the fact that he did it, and, and so there's no real arguing with the penalty. It's, a, it's a, a, a reasonable and fair call. So that reduced his score significantly. And just looking at this for a second, if instead he'd gotten a block on that, he'd have had seven more points, he'd had 53 He'd have been, you know, B plus range, maybe even maybe even A minus range if it hadn't been for that uh, that penalty. Okay. So he gets a C after adjustment, and that's where we are with Austin this week. All right, so all A's except for a C uh, for Howard, which is perfectly fine, as you've as you've said. Um, all right, let's move on to our offensive MVPs. We don't get. To, it seems like we don't get to do offensive MVPs that much, but the offense had a big game this week. Yeah, they sure did. So we've we've got some got some guys to pick. Your number three guy. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, uh, my number three is Marty Morningweg. I think, and we'll get to it in the mailbag because I know there's some questions about it. But it sure seemed like the offense play calling was different uh, this week, and a little more exciting, a little more uh, they mixed things up. Right. I, I think that's fair. That's uh, not bad at all. Number three for me is Alex Collins. Uh, big runs continues to have. Not a lot of easy level two opportunities given to him. They, the team doesn't have Marshall Yonda there. They do have Hurst, which gives which gives some good pulls to open some holes, and they do have Howard, who's a good seal blocker on that right side. But they they have not had as many easy level two opportunities for Collins. And he tends to get contacted earlier and get a lot of his yards after contact. So. Uh, he gets my number three. I always feel bad for Collins because once they get within like ten yards of the end zone, they don't use them that often, <laughs> and I feel bad that he doesn't always get the touchdowns. But he has been exciting. Uh, my number two is Patrick Ricard, just for his first touchdown, first career touchdown, and uh, it was fun to see a, a different play like that come out from the Ravens' offense. Yeah, I mean, not only was that great, but we noticed about four times, and Marine and I are scoring the game for the offensive line, but we do put in a, a note for other good blocks from eligible receivers in particular that happen while that's happening. So Ricard played, I want to make sure I have this correct here, 18 snaps on offense, uh, and he had four uh, noted mentions for, for big blocks on run plays. So very big contribution for for him in that regard. So very, that's a great pick. I love it. My number two guy, Joe Flacco. Uh, 
you, whatever you want to say about Joe um, in terms of did he really outperform his expectation in this game or was it more the offensive line giving this, I give him credit for taking advantage of the Lions' defense on the 23-yard play when they only had nine on, making sure that he got a nice, easy pitch and catch in the middle of the field. I give him credit for managing the football exceptionally well. So he didn't have any turnovers, which is something that is not exactly captured without looking at it separately in terms of the how well did he do versus sample time and space. So uh, he's had a couple games now in a row where he's managed the football extremely well. And that doesn't necessarily mean managing the game only. It means managing the football well. And, and uh, that's been very positive. So uh, Joe's my number two guy. And uh, my number one is Mike Wallace. It's been nice to see a wide receiver that we can count on. Yeah, you know, that's, that's great. It was, a, it was a very deep cross. The Ravens offense had to, had to depend on that play that the pass rush wouldn't get there because that play takes a long time to develop. Right. So, uh, you know, it's one of those plays that uh, real great to see them take a shot and really make Flacco hold the ball a little bit longer or ask Flacco to hold the ball a little bit longer to make that play. My number one, the Ravens' offensive line as a whole. Now, last week I didn't want to do a, you know, wuss out and give it to, oh, give it to two players or give it to three players, when when both Stanley and Howard had excellent games. But this this week I can't help but give it to all of them. They they played so well as a unit in solving the blitz um, that uh, I was very happy with this. I could have also given it to Greg Roman as a number one. I just uh, thought I'd leave that one for you just in case. Oh, see, I don't, I don't know, don't always remember those coaches' names, so I, I would have missed that one. But that's a good one. Um, let's get to the mailbag, and we're going to talk with uh, kind of what I was getting to with my pick of Marty, where Vaughn takes asks on Twitter: Did you see any significant difference in the play calling last week? Formations, personnel, etc. The ball was certainly up in the air more. Right. Um... They did a lot of chipping in the game. They've done a lot of that the, the whole season long. Uh, backs in the game, and Collins in particular, did a good job picking up the blitz uh, individually, so you got to give him some credit for that. Uh, but I think a lot of it was just Joe finding open receivers under a very favorable circumstances. So you have less people in the secondary. There's less traffic to throw into, more area to throw a receiver open. And Throwing a receiver open, for example, is something he did with Wallace on the long pass. There's several different points to which he could have thrown that ball that Wallace could have run to and make, made the catch ahead of the defensive back who was covering him. You kind of think of it as, in, in economics, we have an efficient frontier, but there's a, there's a whole kind of line of places that the ball could have gone where Wallace would have been the first guy to get to it, and he, and he, and he picked a great spot to throw him open there. Uh, made, a, made a number of back shoulder throws on the sideline, which is something I want to see return to the Ravens' offense. He still has that cannon arm to get the ball to the sideline before the defensive back can do anything about it. And the back shoulder throw came back, I want to say, about three times in this game. So it was a very positive thing. That's, that's great. Uh, that's exciting. Uh, what about the pass protection in, in recent games? Uh, at Vengeance on Twitter asks, uh, what's up with, is there a change? Is there a five-man front help from the weak side? And do you have any recollection what it was like the last time we played Pittsburgh? The last well, time? As was... in, yeah, week three, four, whenever that was. Right. So in week four, how did their pass protection differ? Well, uh, I, I don't know that I can say specifically with regard to week four, but I will say as the season has gone along here, they've done more to try and protect Austin Howard and to, to a, an extent Ronnie Stanley as well 
with chip blocks from eligible receivers leaving the backfield. And that's been very effective with some use of Ricard on that uh, and with other use of uh, um, uh, Hurst usually helping Stanley from the inside as well. So a combination of things to, to, to help your, your uh, tackles deal with ed rush, edge rushers I think has really helped. The Steelers uh, can bring it from everywhere. They can certainly bring it from the inside where they have Stephon Tuitt and they have Cam Hayward, and they can bring it from the outside where they have T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. So they have a lot of weapons, and the Ravens will really be tested in, the, in this next game at Pittsburgh. Right. All right, here's one of those guys who is really watching the, uh, watching the playoff lines. And this is Vermont Raven on Twitter. Correct me if I'm wrong. For Week 14, the best results for the Ravens are the Chargers to lose to Washington, Miami to lose to New England, Buffalo to lose to Indy, and the Jets lose to Denver. And then Kansas City or Oakland have to get their seventh loss. Okay, so let's go this one at a time. Right. The Jets lose to Denver, absolutely. The, the Ravens cannot win a tiebreaker with the Jets, even though it's very, very unlikely. Right. So they need to have the Jets get one more loss. So the okay. loss to Denver would be terrific. Right, what the sooner the better. The, other games? Uh, the uh, Chargers and Redskins. Okay, so Chargers and Redskins is an interesting game. Obviously, the Ravens would love for the Chargers to lose to the Redskins because it's a loss for the Chargers. But if the Chargers beat the Redskins, then the Ravens actually seal the tiebreaker with the Chargers, which is also not a terrible result. So uh, either one of those kind of works. One's a big win right. if, they, if they go in and lose to Washington. One's a half win if they go in and... Uh, okay and uh, beat Washington. All right, so that's one to not worry about too much. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we've got Miami losing to New England to get the um, loss. Okay, sure. I mean, if you want to avoid three-way ties, that's kind of a, a, an obvious one, but Miami's not going to not going to start winning ball games, so I I don't really have a fear of that. But, uh, but yeah, there's no reason for, for the Ravens not to root for New England to beat Miami. The only one I can see is that if New England takes a loss, it might be good for the point that New England will still be playing hard in Week 17 when they play Buffalo. So okay. that would be a key one. And, that's, and that brings us to Buffalo and Indy this weekend. Um, I guess, is Tyrod playing this week? Have you seen? I have not latest? heard, but I, I did see something about Nathan Peterson is ready if needed kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, right, just like last time. He, was, he showed us all he was ready. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, uh, obviously, like you were saying with New England, it'd be good if Buffalo gets their loss, whether it's this week or at some point we need them to get another loss. Yeah, need, need Buffalo to get one more loss. Buffalo can win an oddball tiebreaker at 10-6 and six with the Ravens. Uh, it's going to be much harder for them to win a, win a tiebreaker at 9-7, and seven, but Buffalo has a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. So they're, they're a little bit scary in terms of... of uh, of what they can do. The Ravens are a game ahead. They should be able to deal with it. But, uh, but yes, they, uh, they, they're, they of course, rooting for Buffalo to lose another game. All right. And then uh, here's a quick one from uh, Edgar Catano. He, he, it's Catano. That's what I said. I said Catano. Okay. I think. I'm looking at the pronunciation. The, he ends it with quick one. Uh, quick one. What do you make of how Woodhead's been used and what he brings to the off? to the offense since the return. By the way, Josh, it's Caetano. Cheers, guys. 
So he, well, he, he knows I struggle with names and gave me the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs to give their phonetic pronunciation to Josh. I'll say, by the way, this is not a, a problem for Josh alone. I used to be on the coach's buzz from time to time, and he would always call me Matuzak. And I don't know how you get that out of the spelling of my name, but, but, uh, but he remembered John Matuzak from the 70s, who was a, right. who was a fine lineman. Anyway, uh, Ed, Edgar says, uh, asked the question about Danny Woodhead. And I'll say this, that Danny um, uh, has not had the kind of impact on the offense that I would have expected. And I think that's probably a good thing, because people expected Woodhead to come back and immediately be the guy that is the target of every pass and you know he's going to catch seven passes a game and he's going to run for 30 yards and, and catch 80 yards worth of passes and and score two touchdowns every game and that's going to the offense is going to come back to life because of that in truth collins has remained the feature back they've had woodhead out there on third down a fair amount i think woodhead has done a pretty good job as a pass blocker had two beautiful cut blocks in this last game that i noticed there may have been another and you know, it's really something that I'm, I'm happy that his contribution is kind of low-key in this regard, that he's not needed for every third-down conversion because the, the Ravens' offense would be that much more sickly if they were relying on him more. All right. I, I think you got to this one earlier, but we'll just uh, readdress it. How does Skura and Hurst-level play affect the 2018 O-line as far as Lewis and Hurst and Skura? How would that affect them? This comes in from Meteor, Meteor Reed. Media read. So, uh, lots of complication there. You got five guys at guard, and you hopefully will have center back. Uh, sorry, we'll have Jensen back at center. So, you really have five guys for two spots. I think Skura's play this year has indicates to me he should at least be a backup in this league. I am a little bit concerned about putting Skura at center and not having the same anchor that they have with Jensen. But I think that Skura is at least a very serviceable backup in this league. He's played certainly well enough for that. And the Ravens have him for three more cheap years. So it'd be really nice to take advantage of that. Uh, with Hurst, I think it's just a matter of can they really work out the contract. I think the team would probably be best served to bring him back at left guard and to try and either either have a third you know, solid guard or have have a uh, uh, an opportunity to move Alex Lewis to right tackle. Uh, either of those is possible. Another possibility is that Marshall Yonder retires. You know he's coming back off an injury, and you know we just never know. You never know when the right. injury is coming with an injury, so got to be fearful of that. Sure. Uh, Nico Siragusa might move into the best chance to get the center role if Jensen leaves, so that could weaken the guard position. And you know there's just a lot of different different potential moving parts in there. It's also one of the things they considered this last year is moving Alex Lewis to center, and I kind of like that idea uh, within the context of uh, uh, of him being back. Uh, you know, you want a healthy player at center. You want a guy right. who wants to stay healthy. But, uh, uh, but it seems like there's, there's some depth there to work with. There is. There's a lot of interior line depth. So, All right, then uh, let's close it out with a defensive question. Um, Crunk Juice, I can handle that name, asks... <laughs> Based, uh, based on your analysis of C.J. Mosley, why do you think PFF ranks him as a below-average linebacker? Okay, so we'll handle this one in this show. Not normal, but, but we, we like it's, to do it's, defense it's a, Yeah, I w- normally we separate them, but it's a, it's, I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about after Sunday night. So yeah, wild card question. Okay, so uh, Mosley, I did make a comment on the defensive show that I don't think that he's really providing as many splash plays as he needs to. He's had some interceptions. He had a big fumble recovery uh, w- with a return. 
but uh, he, he has not had a bunch of tackles for loss recently. And maybe part of it is that he's hobbling a little bit. Uh, but I honestly think he, he, needs to, he needs to step it up here. And I'm a little concerned about what's going on here because the, we're going to a point where they're going to have to make a decision on Mosley. They're going to certainly pay him next year to stay for his fifth year. And to do that, they have to pay him a much higher salary to do it. And then they have to decide if they're going to sign him long-term, which is also going to be quite expensive. And they have to decide how to time that, whether they preempt the 2018 salary, pay a little bit less on the front end, more on the back end, to keep him for long-term uh, immediately. And that also would, would mean his, his uh, overall contract will be a little smaller because he's guaranteed more money up front. So I think with C.J., he certainly is a team leader. He's the signal caller. He's out there every snap that he can be. Uh, you want this guy to be on the team for the long time, but you are making a big franchise decision on a cornerstone player, and if he's taken a step back or if there's anything that, that he's lost uh, that might be significant, I, I would be concerned about investing the entire bankroll in him, and he's going to be expensive. It's going to be probably a $55 million contract for five years, maybe even a little bit more than that. And uh, that's a, a lot of money for one player. Right. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see him improve over the next couple of weeks and uh, grow into the guy that we all want him to be and um, finally get one of those. He was a first-round pick, right? So yeah, it would be nice to get a first-round pick finally pan out as a star. Right. Um, all right, Ken, your article is up on Russell Street Report right now for the offense. It is. So you go to Russell Street Report and look for Film Study. If you want to follow me online, I'm at Film Study Ravens. And uh, we tweet all day long about stuff. There's a lot of good back and forth. And it's not just asking me a question. It's it, you ask me a question with an at Film Study Ravens. And all kinds of other people will jump in with their opinion, too, which is just great. It's a good discussion going. I love it. Yeah. How about you, Josh? Uh, my show is Section 336. Most recent episode up. Uh, we talk about this Steeler Ravens rivalry and why we like it. We talked about Dan Duquette, and he went on a radio station and made some comments uh, that a lot of people bashed because they said it sounded like he wasn't doing anything and didn't care. So we talked about some of the moves that Dan Duquette made made, uh, with his career here and how, when you look at it, Dan Duquette's done a lot of really good stuff uh, with with the pocketbook held back. Mm -hmm. So we talk about that as well. So uh, every Monday, new show in Section 336. How are the Orioles set up in this coming year for having a good stable of option available pick optionable pitchers? I am not sure yet. They should be okay because they still have a lot of young guys in the bullpen right now. So they they they've got some guys that they can get that Norfolk shuttle rolling if they'd like to. Right. Okay. So it's good to have like. One one to two starters and about four relievers that you can put in that sure. category if you can. Sure, and the problem is we have no clue who those starters will be this year, <laughs> and that's really the focus right now. Uh, at least it's our focus and hopefully Dan Duquette's focus as well. So, all right, Ken, well, we will talk after Sunday night's Raven Steeler Sunday night football game. <laughs> At Lowe's, we're your 
go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.